while our panelists are uh, taking their seats. Uh, I would like to welcome you here today as well. Uh, my name is Christos Krisakis. I'm a business development manager for DMVGL. And uh, the topic of this panel is, uh, uh, we think, a very hot topic these days, navigating the new world of marine fuels 2020 and beyond. And uh, we all know that uh, time for implementation for the Sulfur Cup is very short, uh, less than a year now. Uh, there are several uncertainties still, which makes the transition even more challenging, and there is not one solution fits all. So uh, we'll have to be evaluated on a case by case by shipping companies. So for that, and hoping to uh, give you some clarity, we have uh, three excellent uh, speakers with us who actually spent, I think they will spend the rest of the year talking about this topic. Uh, but they will have to uh, limit themselves to 35 minutes today. Uh, first, uh, Armel Berneol from uh, ExxonMobil. She's a marine fuels technical advisory, uh, advisor. Um, she has a long experience with uh, ExxonMobil and also has experience uh, as a seafarer. So uh, I think she's uh, very well suited to uh, help us understand uh, the fuel side of things. Next, we have uh, Diomidis Stamoulis, uh, senior manager from uh, Hellenic Petroleum, uh, also with a long career in the refining industry. So we can have the uh, refining aspect. And finally, Steve B, Group Commercial and Business Development uh, uh, Director uh, from Veritas Petroleum Services. Uh, so we also can uh, understand a little bit more about testing of fuels and uh, what we need to be careful about. So with that, I would like to uh, start um, with some questions. And uh, maybe the, the first question that comes to mind is that uh, everyone is wondering what is going to be the fuel mix in 2020, in January 2020. What kind of fuels are we going to be using? Is it going to be more 0.1%, 0.5%, distillates, um, uh, residual. Is there something you can, uh, you would like to say on that? Maybe we can start with you, Armel, and then. Yes, first of all, good morning, everyone. Uh, at ExxonMobil, we strongly believe that we are heading towards a multi-fuel future. Uh, given the requirement to reach the 0.50% sulfur content, there will be several ways of obtaining this uh, sulfur level. And uh, from there, we, we believe we are heading, as I said, toward a multi-fuel future, from residual to distillate to blended fuel. Yeah? Good morning, everyone. I'm also of the same opinion, and uh, if we see today the fuel mix consisting uh, mostly 70% uh, of uh, the old type of 3.5% uh, high sulfur fuel oil, and the rest 30% split it between something like 5% uh, of uh, uh, low sulfur fuel oil and 25% distillates, uh, I can say we are moving to a future that uh, these percentages are going to change in a direction where distillates 
will prevail more in that uh, available fuel for shipping, probably will uh, account for something between 40 and 50 percent of the future fuel, and the rest will be a mixture uh, depending on the selection of the shippers to replace uh, their fuel or uh, continue use the high sulfur fuel with some scrubbing equipment, will be probably uh, split half and half, say 25%, 25% between a high sulfur grade and the new 0.5% uh, sulfur grade. This is my uh, view of, uh, of the future slowly as we change the specification. Morning, everybody. Um, I think, again, I concur, obviously, with the, um, my fellow panelists here. I think the fuel mix is still unknown, uh, certainly with respect to absolute uh, values. And this is because not every shipping company has revealed or decided upon their strategic course. Um, and also suppliers, not all suppliers, have you know, made it known what types of fuel and volumes, etc., prices will be uh, available come 2020. Um, so really, the, all we can simply state is that it is going to be a mix of HFO used with scrubbers, 0.5% sulfur fuels uh, and fuel blends, uh, distillates, uh, some LNG, and obviously in the Eckers, 0.1% sulfur fuels and distillates. So it's very difficult to you know, really absolutely predict what the, those, uh, the, the mix will be in the values. What I can inform you is obviously as um, we have four laboratories across the world, uh, one, in, one in Asia, one in the Middle East, one here in Europe, and one in the States, we have seen a change in the uh, fuel types that we have been asked to, to test. Uh, the latest picture, just to give you an overall view, is that we're currently testing around about 56% of our samples are residual, about 40% are distillates, and about 4% are the 0.1% sulfur fuels. We've seen a big change in, in Singapore over the last sort of six to eight months where the gas oils that we're receiving now account for 30% of our samples. And if you went back you know, to the beginning at this time last year, it was probably only around about 18 to 20%. So even in the Singapore region, we're seeing an increased use of uh, distillates, which obviously, you know, backs up what Diomedes is uh, saying there about increased distillate usage. Um, here in Europe, we're seeing about 9% of our samples are 0.1% sulfur, and the mix between HFO and uh, gas oils as sample submissions are pretty equal, about 46% HFO and 45% MGO. And if you went back to you know, the time of the ECHA change, we were looking at 80% residual and 20% uh, distillate. So distillates really are coming more to the fore um, over the last couple of years, and there seems to be an increasing momentum towards our fuel type. Thank you. Uh, maybe you can say a few words about uh, what refineries are doing to, to prepare, or fuel producers, produ producers are doing to prepare themselves uh, to be able to serve the shipping industry, uh, both in terms of uh, reducing the amount of uh, HFO that comes out of the refineries, but also uh, in terms of preparations that need to be done for uh, fuel uh, producers to be able to, uh, to supply the required fuel um, to their customers. Um, I think that will be very interesting to understand that aspect. 
if you want to stop. Um. Okay, start. Uh, how we are preparing for uh, IMO 2020, January 1st? I would say first you need to know that we have started already several years ago to be, to be ready for January 1st. And I want to say the idea is not to be ready for January 1st, but uh, before that, because if we want uh, the vessel at sea being compliant on January 1st, uh, it will be, they will have to prepare first. They, they, we suppose they are currently preparing and they will have to organize their implementation plan as it's called by IMO uh, to ensure the compliance on January 1st. So meaning if the choice is to go to a 0.50% fuel as a compliance option, uh, this option will have to be worked, I will say, fourth quarter 2019. So us, we are preparing to be ready, I will say, fourth quarter 2019, to be able to deliver this new 0.50% sulfur fuel. And in your question, the, it, it was about how we are preparing. I will say, each refinery is different. Uh, it had been a, a screen on available streams that could meet the 0.50 sulfur uh, cap, refinery by refinery. Uh, currently, very often we are stating that there is no two sister ship, two sister refinery as we can have some sister ship vessels. Uh, so from one refinery to another, it will be potentially very different type of fuel that will be available to reach the 0.50 and different way of obtaining this uh, sulfur content that may vary from the crude selection up to the different type of units that are available in, within the refinery. This is for me. More or less, we <coughs> follow a similar route. We know that um, we have to be uh, ready before the uh, implementation of the new specification as a refiner here in this country, we plan to uh, offer our customers both fuels, the existing one for those that want to use it with the scrubbing system, and the new one. And I agree very, very much with Armel that every refinery uh, has different uh, flexibilities and opportunities uh, available to prepare the, this new type of fuel. One of them is to start from materials, crude oil, that contains less sulfur and go all the way down and, and produce a, a mixture of some heavy residual with some diluent in order to obtain the specification. Another one is to desulfurize some of the components during the process. This gives a big variety of final products and this is what makes us very cautious for the final product, because we have to be very careful. First of all, we as suppliers, in order to uh, keep very uh, clean logistics, how to separate these different materials in order uh, to deliver them properly and not mixing them and causing problems of incompatibility or uh, 
uh, other type of problems. So this requires uh, uh, a long-term uh, uh, preparation, studies, and tests, and uh, a well-planned logistic system in order to be prepared at time and with safety. Uh, what I want to say just to close my <coughs> position is that usually during all these periods uh, requests for changing specifications in fuels were here all the time and refineries and technology of refining petroleum was ready to give an answer to them. This one is a very peculiar change in specification. Normally we wanted to have a fuel uh, with a better uh, uh, calorific value properties and viscosity adjusted for the engine. Now we request from the fuel to have uh, one-seventh of its sulfur content, but nobody says what will happen with the other properties, viscosity and density. This, in principle, gives a lot of possibilities to achieve this sulfur specification, but does not guarantee uh, how to get out of trouble with the variety of the products that will result just because of that. And this is something that requires from all of us to be in close cooperation. This is what I want to say. Dave, do you want to make some comments, or should I start? I with can you? make just a, a, a brief comment on you know. Obviously, we're not uh, refiners; we have uh, no influence on on the fuels that come out. But what we can do is, and what we have been doing, is certainly working on R and D programs um, with proposed new formulations, etc. Just to you know, try and ensure and give more information that the fuels will be compliant and fit for purpose. If you agree, perhaps yeah. I can add something on that one. Uh, fully agree with your comment, uh, Diomidis, that the fact that today, from a refiner perspective, the first objective was to reach the 0.50% sulfur content. Meaning when we have done some screening within our refinery, the first objective was to find a stream that can meet the sulfur content. But what we have done, and uh, so not nobody have said that. <laughs> and uh, as at ExxonMobil, the way we have worked it is that we have done a, a very rigorous fit-for-use assessment, as we call it, of the different streams that we, are, we have identified to ensure that on top of the sulfur uh, level, combustion quality, viscosity, uh, compatibility behavior we, will be worked on top behind the ISO 8217 spec because it's true that it will be key tomorrow. There is, I would say, in brackets, plenty of low sulfur stream available in the refinery if we want. Now the next step is to ensure they will burn properly in an engine. Thank you. Yeah, and you're uh, touching upon the, well, the next questions that come, I guess, naturally to mind. and. Uh, uh, but maybe before going directly into that, uh, you talked about uh, different refinery technologies, uh, also refiners that are no sister uh, refineries, uh, and also that everything depends very much on the uh, crude 
uh, that we have um, uh, to start with. So do you expect any large regional variations just because of uh, uh, availability of different uh, crude qualities in different parts of the world and also different technologies available in different parts of the world? Do you want to say a few words about that? And then we can move into more details about making sure that you are safe. Yes, I, I do believe that uh, it, this is inevitable because availability of different type of crudes in different parts of the world is one fact. Second, refineries uh, have different technologies available for them. Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of your uh, uh, talking, you said that refiners have also ways to, to get rid of this heavy residue. Actually, this, of course, doesn't give uh, a solution to the product required by the shipping industry. But it is uh, a way out of a refinery. Because you understand very well that a refinery has to sell everything from what uh, has as an intake. So it has to transform all the intake to useful products and sell them at a price. So one way to tackle the issue is to go full down uh, the cracking process and produce carbon. And from that carbon, uh, later uh, can produce energy, either by gasification as, or as a carbon. Mm. But, but this is uh, not the solution. Now, coming back to the variety of the products, uh, having in mind that we have different feedstocks for the refineries in several places of the world, different processes, I see that uh, uh, we have at least uh, a matrix of four variations in viscosity and uh, chemistry. So I see a uh, type of fuels complying with the 0.5% sulfur content that will be more aromatic in chemical nature or more paraffinic. And then we are going to have on top of that a second dimension, type of fuels that will contain, that will have a more residual nature that will come out of the heavier components of the crude or will have a more uh, lighter nature coming from the middle distillates area. So already this gives a big variety combined with the geography, and this is something we have to be very careful how to, to handle it. Uh, you want to comment on that? Or? Yes, just to, to add on the, the fact that we have already, within our discussion with uh, ship owner and ship operators, that yes, we believe that there will be differences uh, from one port to another in terms of product type availability and potentially this could change a little bit the lifting pattern from a vessel owner depending on uh, tank segregation on board one vessel for example. If uh, there is a need to look only for residual fuel or distillate fuel unless there is enough tank segregation on board the vessel to ensure I would say to limit uh, compatibility question. 
reason why part of our work that we have done uh, within our fit for use assessment, the, the compatibility question have been considered of being of uh, utmost uh, importance. Thank you, Hermel. And uh, that uh, brings me immediately to the next question, which I would like to start with Steve here. Um, with all this variability that we should expect, uh, what can we advise shipping companies to do? Uh, what can they do in terms of uh, ISO specifications? What can they do in terms of testing? If you uh, want to comment on that, please. I think the, the, the first thing to say was certainly with regard to testing the, the quality of the fuel is you know, wherever possible, you know, try and buy the fuel against the latest revision of ISO 8217 uh, because that latest revision will certainly improve protection as it's written really with sort of the more recent uh, fuel issues in mind. Um, I think, however, for things like residual fuels, uh, tests such as reserve stability number uh, will complement things like the hot filtration uh, sediment uh, tests and providing more information on uh, predicted asphaltenic uh, dropout. And I think with potentially a, a wider uh, range of cutter stock materials and additives and other blend components as you go through the supply chain, uh, being possible to be introduced uh, to such fuels. Um, I think, you know, there's, what we're seeing is maybe little quality control across the full supply chain. So in my mind, I think things like looking at chemical screening um, is a minimum additional requirement uh, to the ISO 8217 suite of tests. Um, also, I think testing residual fuels in order to monitor the, um, the efficiency of the vessel's fuel delivery system. You know, ISO 8217 really only applies to the fuel as it hits the ship's rail. Um, after that, obviously, the fuel's stored treated, uh, purified, filtered in various ways, and all of this can have an effect. So monitoring the efficiency of the fuel delivery system and how that can possibly change uh, the chemistry of the fuel um, prior to introduction to the engine is also, is also key. I think from a distillate perspective, monitoring uh, lubricity uh, to combat fuel pump issues and engine damage due to reduced sulfur levels affecting the natural lubricity of the fuel is also key in low sulfur fuel uh, distillates. Um, if you're sailing in cold waters, then obviously I think you know, monitoring or closer monitoring of the cold flow properties of distillates, so your pore point, cold filter plug-in point, and uh, cloud point, again, are key. And certainly, you know, from respect to storage and crevices within the uh, delivery system, monitoring bacterial growth, um, especially, you know, um, as I say, with in terms of this, the storing of uh, these fuels on board. And also we still have you know, potential issues with uh, biomaterial presence and the issues that that can bring um, with these fuels. So 8217 to the latest spec will give you better coverage, but there are still wider implications and maybe further things that we should look at across both residual and distillate. Is there anything else that uh, you'd like, uh, Armel or Yomiris? Just, I, I agree full with, fully with Steve. It's very crucial, uh, the, the handling uh, processes we need to establish in this new era of uh, this uh, low sulfur fuel. Uh, until now, we had a product that more or less 
was similar. So interchanging uh, was easier. Now having this variety is very crucial uh, to plan and organize storaging, transportation, and pretreatment of the feed to the engine. Maybe engines are versatile and can handle a lot of fuels, but still we need to respect the requirements for that. And this is important. If I can add uh, on this, uh, which I fully uh, agree, what you have said, Steve and Diomedes, uh, is that we need to consider to move from fuel procurement to fuel management. Because tomorrow, the crew on board the vessel, depending the tank segregation they will have available, uh, depending their, uh, I would say, the call they will have to do in the different ports, potentially there will be a need to manage, to have a really a fuel management to understand what will be the next port of call where the fuel type that will sweet the tank segregation on board will be available. Meaning that if today potentially we purchase the fuel when we need the fuel, tomorrow there will be a need to have a fuel management considering the two or the third port where we will have to make uh, a, a bunker uh, for this particular vessel and to think uh, about it. So really, uh, as mentioned by you, Steve, ISO 82.17, the latest specification is crucial first in terms of product quality, then to ensure that stability, compatibility, and combustion properties of the fuel have been worked from your supplier, and to ensure that the crew is fully aware of what is uh, arriving on board the vessel and what they will have to handle in terms of treatment. Because the treatment of the fuel is key. We call it at ExxonMobil from time to time a good housekeeping from the time the fuel is reaching the storage tank up to the service tank before entering the engine. This is where certainly tomorrow the crew on board the vessel will have to have either an increased knowledge compared to what they can have today uh, on fuel uh, characteristics and uh, properties. And uh, just to continue a little bit on that, uh, you talked about the role of crew on board, but uh, uh, what do you see uh, the role of uh, onshore personnel uh, being on that, of banking departments? Um, can you make some comments about that? Uh, so bankering you, you mean how it will be linked between the Or how, how bankering strategies of uh, the shipping companies ah. could, could help in that? Well, in terms of buying strategy, uh, perhaps I am not the, the best one to, to answer, but uh, what is key, it will be this transition period, I would say, between now and January 1st, 2020. If a vessel wants to be compliant on January 1st, the implementation plan should more or less be already in place. And the crew on board the vessel, in linked with the onshore personnel, I would say, uh, as a bunkering strategy, they should already know or, or have already worked the transition plan in terms of tank cleaning, 
needed, yes, no. This will depend tank by tank on each vessel. It can vary very different uh, on a big proportion if you, we are speaking of a brand new vessel going out of the shipyard or if we are discussing of a 10 years old vessel with some storage tank having a kind of uh, aerobies that have been built for 10 years potentially. I can share with you a recent example uh, that uh, was shared with us during the uh, last conference where in terms of preparation, a vessel owner have started to make some uh, analysis of the ROB on board the storage tank. And in one of its tank, they have found a level of aluminum silicon, because this is a characteristic we haven't yet discussed in detail, but the level of aluminum silicon in this storage tank was 20,000 ppm. So meaning, if you are not cleaning this tank before loading a 0.50% sulfur fuel, which can be, for example, a distillate fuel, which will have a kind of cleaning effect, you will clean the tank <laughs> and uh, with the distillate fuel, yes, and potentially have all this heavy stuff at the bottom of the tank reaching uh, your filtering system, your centrifuge, and with a 20,000 ppm level of aluminum, it, there is a big risk for your engine. So you see, the bunkering strategy, I would think that today it's more to focus on the transition plan vessel by vessel, tank by tank. Uh, this is how I see it for, for today. If I just add to what Armel was saying, certainly on the, on the subject of cat fines, if we go back to 2013, 2014, when we had the 1% uh, sulfur limit in the Eckers, we saw a lot of issues with, with fuel quality uh, in respect to, to residuals, where almost one in three uh, showed at least one off-specification parameter within ISO 8217. And it was due to, obviously, a, a very high level of a blending of that, that fuel type. So as we go towards, obviously, the 0.5% the, the sulfur, 0.5% sulfur isn't too far away from 1%, uh, and we are anticipating blended uh, residual distance to, to maybe exhibit uh, maybe higher uh, cat fine properties. Uh, and again, it, it you know, adds sort of more uh, credence to the, um, to the fuel system, uh, checks within uh, a vessel's fuel delivery system, you know, uh, to ensure that you know, we do remove these potentially higher levels of, of cat fines as part of that process. So I, I just wanted to add that to Armel's comments on cat fines. Thank you. Uh, I would like, we, we are almost running out of time, uh, but uh, is there a short question from the audience maybe? Yes. Is there a microphone we can use? Uh, or maybe if you can ask a question, uh, and, and, and please repeat the question. From the point of view of scrubbers uh, and also ballast water but as, as a separate issue. 
do the panel subscribe to the view that the low sulfur fuel will A, be more expensive, and B, remain more expensive for a considerable period of time, or do they rather subscribe to the view which I have to say I hold, that alongside other companies, the oil majors, the producers, the, 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 the distillery, will have to follow the environmental argument and reduce the price of low sulfur fuel very, very quickly. I, I say that because I was on the running machine this morning in the gym in the hotel and I saw the latest school children uh, environmental marches throughout Europe. Uh, the uh, environmental lobby is becoming huge and will become ever bigger and bigger as, uh, as we go forward. I'm sure the oil majors will want to reduce the price of low sulfur fuel very, very quickly or be seen to be, dare I say, profiteering from uh, uh, the, the position. Well, uh, maybe I can make and a quick sir? comment first that, yeah. uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, we, we cannot discuss any individual pricing uh, policies. So as, as a concept, though, hypothetically. Uh, it's, it's a little bit difficult. I don't know if you yeah. can make any I, general I can, comments. I'm sorry, if you want, and thanks for the reminder on the, to the fact that we can not go in detail on pricing. And on top, there is a lot of factors that will impact uh, pricing, starting with the crude price. So I would say it will, it will be quite impossible to answer this question uh, now. I think okay. you know, if we look at, um, you know, it's the old market adage, isn't it? It's, it's supply and demand, and if something that's in greater demand will normally indicate a higher, a higher price. Um, so you, know, you might expect that if distillates are in greater demand, then you know, the price would be higher than, say, a residual fuel that is no longer has the level of market demand that you know, it previously had. So it's all market dynamics, I'm afraid. I think you know, we could talk about individual things, but you know, it's, uh, it's more supply and demand, I think, that's going to dictate pricing. Thank you very much. We're just on time. We actually have to finish. Uh, I think if I can summarize this with one sentence is that preparation is key. Do you agree on that? I think both from the refinery side and uh, the shipping company side. So I'd like to thank you very much. Our panelists will be around, I think, for a while. So uh, please uh, feel free to talk to them afterwards. Thank you very much.